This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly, but I'm not here because it's a bank holiday, so instead we've got a bonus episode from another podcast in the Times family. It's from Stories of Our Times. Weapons at the ready. A fight is underway between one of the world's most powerful tech companies and the UK authorities. On the front line, one of the most successful games of all time, Call of Duty. A month ago, the UK's competition watchdog blocked a deal by Microsoft to take over Call of Duty's developer. It sent shockwaves through the gaming industry. British antitrust regulators have blocked Microsoft's $69 billion deal to buy video game maker Activision Blizzard. The all-cash deal was set to be the biggest in the history of the tech industry, put together by the maker of Xbox video game consoles. You heard that right. The deal is worth $69 billion. That's roughly the GDP of Croatia. But in the world's most lucrative entertainment industry, a sector worth more than both the film and music industries combined, what does the decision mean for Britain's business reputation on the global stage? The English Channel has never seemed wider in terms of Europe as a continent being attractive to investment. And in post-Brexit Britain, Could this deal land a fatal blow to the government's plans to make the UK a global tech superpower? Rishi Sunak has said they'd like to be the Silicon Valley of Europe. And if deals like this can't get through, they're not going to be Silicon Valley. They'll be Death Valley. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, how Call of Duty became Britain's post-Brexit battleground. I'm Katie Prescott. I'm technology business editor at the Times newspaper. Last month, Katie, the boss of one of the most powerful big tech companies in the world made 
quite an extraordinary statement about the UK. What did he say? So this is a chap called Brad Smith, who is known as the diplomat of Silicon Valley. So he's the president at Microsoft, and he's been at the business for 30 years. I've interviewed him before, and he is very statesmanlike, very measured. He's a lawyer by background, so he chooses his words carefully judiciously one might say so it was very striking when he went on bbc radio about a deal that microsoft was trying to do around the world he said the european union is a more more attractive place to start a business if you want someday to sell it than the united kingdom but this decision i have to say uh, is probably the darkest day in our four decades in britain So very, very punchy statements indeed. And really, I would say, hitting the UK government where it hurts, invoking Brexit and invoking investment in technology, which is a real driver for the government at the moment. We'll come back to that punchy statement later. But first, we need to understand the deal at the heart of the story. So this is really the end result of a deal that Microsoft wanted to do in January last year. Microsoft does lots of different things, right? It makes software like Windows that we're all familiar with. It's a big backer of ChatGPT. I'm ChatGPT. How can I assist you today? It also makes the Xbox games console. And so in January last year, it said it wanted to buy a company called Activision Blizzard, which is an enormous games company in a deal worth $68.7 billion. And it really took everybody by surprise when it was announced. That is an enormous sum, $68.7 billion. Quite a lot of zeros to get your head around, isn't it? (laughs) Almost impossible to get your head around it. So why is Activision Blizzard worth so much? Why does it matter so much? I guess for Microsoft, it feels like a bit of a marriage made in heaven because making a games console, suddenly owning a games company opens up lots and lots of possibilities and makes quite a lot of sense. And Activision Blizzard is one of the biggest games companies in the world. It was started in 1979 in California, and it's just got a raft of really, really popular titles. Recruit, step forward. So World of Warcraft. We have a mission to accomplish. Spyro the Dragon. Welcome to Town Square, Spyro. Crash Bandicoot. This Bandicoot will be my general. Guitar Hero. Candy Crush. Divine. And Call of Duty being the really major one. So we're talking about a really, really major player in computer games. And then with Microsoft owning the Xbox, you can see why they really, really want to, despite the number of zeros, spend billions on it. And Call of Duty is the big name there. You don't have to be a gamer to have heard of Call of Duty. Give us a sense of just how big that particular game is. I'm not a gamer, but it was described to me, I think, really aptly as like the Harry Potter of computer games, right? So people absolutely wait for years to get the next copy of this game. It's like a shoot-em-up that you can play with your friends. Hostile veto overhead. Grenade out! And each edition, it's almost like making a film. They can take up to seven years to make. They cost hundreds of millions of dollars to produce. And its games are played by 400 million people in 190 
countries. And just looking at the last one, which was called Modern Warfare 2, it earned more than a billion dollars of revenue in its first 10 days. It was just extraordinary. These are extraordinary money spinners. So if you're not a gamer, think of Harry Potter and just how popular that franchise is and how far it goes. And that is what Call of Duty is like in the computer games world. So that's astonishing, astonishingly massive business. Huge, yeah. You can see why suddenly $68 billion perhaps feels like maybe a reasonable price. Now, Katie, Microsoft, of course, has a a long-standing rivalry with the Japanese company Sony. What can you tell us about that? This is all about the, the hardware of computer gaming, so consoles. And when you are a gamer, often you subscribe to one company or another and you buy your games through them. So you would buy a Sony PlayStation or a Microsoft Xbox and that is where the rivalries has grown up really because as a gamer you pick one team or the other. So this deal for Sony, where a lot of people play Call of Duty, became really, really contentious. And I have to say, in in my time covering the tech sector, I've never felt so in the middle of a battlefield or in a Call of Duty kind of-esque fight between different companies because they were so all sides, Microsoft, Sony, and the smaller games companies were so passionate about whether this deal should go through or not. But the real shoot-em-up was between Microsoft and Sony. A shoot-em-up over a shoot-em-up. How exactly has Sony responded to news of this deal? If you think about this franchise, that it's really important kind of when the games are released, the quality of the game, how many people can play them. Sony was concerned that maybe if Microsoft owned Call of Duty, they could prioritise their Xbox over the PlayStation, which would mean more gamers would pick a Microsoft Xbox than would buy a Sony PlayStation because they feel that they would get a better experience on Call of Duty. And they were really, really worried about that. Now, Microsoft punched back and said, this is complete rubbish. If we own Call of Duty, we'll give everybody what they call parity, over the game. We'll release it at the same time on PlayStation as on Xbox. The quality will be identical. And Sony just didn't buy that. They said these promises were nonsense and that Microsoft was going to overcharge them to have the game on their subscription service. I mean, it went back and forth, back and forth. And as journalists, we were in the middle of this fight trying to sort of uh, navigate it all. But it was incredibly contentious. And just how bitter did it get? What kind of things have you been hearing in your reporting about this? (laughs) Well, to the extent that Sony said it, it published details of the deal that Microsoft presented them with on Christmas Eve. They said it, Microsoft presented them with a deal on Christmas Eve so that they didn't have time to scrutinize it properly. And in return, Microsoft were just dismissing all of Sony's arguments. I'm afraid they were, they were both accusing either side, as you can imagine, of not telling the truth. And it was actually quite hard to work out who was telling the truth and what was going on. So right now, you could buy Call of Duty on PlayStation or on Xbox. It would be just as good on either platform. Sony fears that if Microsoft takes over Activision, all that will change. Microsoft has said there's going to be parity. Sony doesn't buy it, doesn't believe it. Do they have grounds to be suspicious? I mean, has Microsoft done enough to reassure Sony? I gather from those close to Sony that they don't really buy the promises. They say, well, they might promise us this for three years. Microsoft say it's 10 years, but how do we know they'll really stick to it? 
there's such deep suspicion between the companies that even though Microsoft promised to sign a deal, Sony didn't buy it. And also said that the terms that Microsoft wanted from them, and these haven't been made public, which is partly why it's really difficult to navigate through all of this. They said the terms that Microsoft had given them were really, really onerous. They wanted a huge chunk of money to give Sony access to these games, which Microsoft denied. It's, it's, been, it's been a bit of a, a shooter on, on many levels. The problems for Microsoft, though, don't begin and end with Sony, do they? There is much more at stake when they're trying to take over Activision. Yes, absolutely. And what we've seen is regulators looking at gaming as a whole and into the future of gaming, particularly, I think what this has really exposed, though, is the difference between how competition regulators treat these enormous global deals. And what it's done is raise questions big political questions in the UK about the tech industry as a whole and investment in technology in the UK, particularly in a post-Brexit landscape. Remember how Microsoft President Brad Smith said the company was going through one of the darkest days in four decades in Britain? We'll find out why a UK watchdog is in the firing line. That's coming up after the break. 
Oh, it's such a good question because I think a lot of people have wondered why Britain has had such a big role in this. And I've had a lot of people ask me, well, if you're talking about the EU, you can see the size of that market. The US, you can see the size of that market. But the UK is also a huge market in this space. And when you've got two companies of this size and they're global, they need to get it approved in every jurisdiction. So when Brad Smith was on the BBC talking about the deal, he said that governments around the world have approved this deal. That was true, but it included Saudi Arabia and Brazil, and they don't have the global reach or impact of the UK, EU and US. And actually, the Competition and Markets Authority is very well respected around the world. And other regulators do look to it for guidance. The UK's regulator, the CMA, They have come to a decision, haven't they, about this uh, Microsoft Activision deal? They came to that decision at the end of April. What did they decide? They blocked it. Ladies and gentlemen, we had some breaking news earlier today when it comes to the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal. Got a bit of a curveball actually this morning based on kind of where the sentiment was yesterday heading into the CMA's decision today. And uh, who this as soon as it was announced that the CMA was blocking the deal, social media just exploded. But we have responded. They decided that the deal couldn't go ahead and that it would stifle competition in the cloud gaming market. So this is where people play games over the internet, streaming them without the need for consoles. And it was quite a surprise because everyone's focus had been so much on the Sony Microsoft rivalry that we were covering incredibly heavily and it seemed to be at the crux of the problem as soon as the competition authorities started to get involved was actually quite swiftly dismissed. And perhaps attention had been taken away from one of the elements that the CMA talked about in their initial findings, which was this issue of the cloud. And it was quite interesting in their preliminary findings. They said that they felt that Microsoft's ownership of Activision and dominance in the cloud, so it's already got a 70% market share of cloud gaming. And they said that poorer people would suffer from this dominance because they tended not to have the very expensive games hardware like an Xbox or a PlayStation. So they said when it comes to developing this market, yes, a small market, they said they thought this is the future of gaming. And if Microsoft took over, it would have dominance in this space. So it's about the future of gaming being in the cloud without having to buy extra bits and pieces so that you can play. That's right. And it's quite a different battle to the one that Microsoft is is fighting with Sony. Yes, a very different battle. And meanwhile, last week, the EU regulator released its decision. What did they decide? Well, they went the opposite way and passed it. Quite actually to a lot of people's surprise because they had looked at exactly the same evidence as the UK's competition watchdog. They'd also dismiss the concerns about consoles as kind of irrelevant. They were also focused on the cloud, but they'd said, actually, if Microsoft makes us certain promises over the next 10 years to make the games on Activision, past, present and future, available on all streaming services, we're happy with this. Has the way the Competition and Markets Authority regulates things changed since Brexit? Yeah, so I guess in the past, they would have tied in more with the European Commission and this would have been a European decision. But ultimately, in a post-Brexit world, they made this call themselves and it was one of the first major decisions they had made since Brexit. Is there tension between the British and European regulators? 
Yes, there is. And I was really surprised, actually, because when the decision came out, the CMA issued a response to the European Commission, which is pretty unusual and being very critical, actually. So they said that essentially the Commission had made a mistake and that by Microsoft passing the deal, they'd be able to set the terms and conditions for this market for the next 10 years. So really punchy stuff. Katie, tell us what has the reaction been then from Microsoft and Activision to the CMA's decision? Well, we heard the um, Microsoft president, Brad Smith, coming out on BBC Radio saying that it made the UK a very difficult place to invest, that it showed that the European Union was a better place to invest. It does more to shake our confidence in the future of the opportunity to grow a technology business in Britain than we've ever confronted before. And will it therefore affect Microsoft's decisions about investments in the UK? It certainly will not help. Bobby Kotick, the punchy boss of Activision, who's owned the business for a very long time, since about 1991, said... It was just a flawed ruling in every respect. And what it demonstrated to us is that these regulators, they don't really understand our business. It's going to make Europe a better place to do business. They were furious and they were really pressing all of the buttons that the UK government wouldn't want them to touch. And for all of us who had some hope that post-Brexit, the UK would construct a structure that would even be more flexible, that would be better for investment, better for technology, we're now finding that the opposite appears to be true. The government at the moment in the UK is trying to make the country a science and tech superpower by 2030. And having these two massive US tech giants say that it meant that the UK wasn't a good place to do business, I think was really quite painful. Now, you can weigh up whether that was lobbying by the businesses or whether there was a grain of truth in it, but it certainly prodded at a, at a very sore point. So where does that leave us now then? If the British regulator has said no, the EU regulator has said yes, can the deal go ahead? That's a really good question because when you think of a deal like this, which is global, it's really complicated to kind of make it work in parts of the world but not in others. So you might be able to do it. You might be able to spin out a company, for example, that just operates in the UK. I don't know. In an ideal world for Microsoft to get this over the line properly and cleanly, they'd want everybody to be on the same page. In an exclusive interview, wide-ranging, I spoke with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. We obviously respect right. the sovereignty of the United Kingdom and the CMA to decide what's good, you know, in that Could country. Could you ever see uh, an age where you would sell the product in the U.S. if it was approved, sell the products in Europe and not sell it in the U.K. if they didn't approve it? Let's wait for it all to play out. So they are appealing the UK's decision. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that, because actually in these appeal cases, they are very rarely overturned. And what about the US regulator? What murmurs, rumours have you been hearing about what their decision's likely to be? The Federal Trade Commission has said they don't like the deal at all, actually on the console side or the cloud side. So they are suing to block it. They have a court case on the 2nd of August. The case will really hinge on whether Microsoft can convince the judge that its case is reasonable. I'm not sure which way that they're going to come down, but it will clearly be 
fascinating and, and clearly something that the competition watchdog in the UK and in Europe will see as a judgment on, on one side or the other. And given those tensions between the three regulators and how they're viewing this deal, what do you think is the future for the deal? If it doesn't go ahead, Microsoft has to pay Activision, I think, up to $3 billion in what's called a breakup fee. With a deal like this, if the different regulators don't pass it, it gets extremely messy because you have to change the structure of the company potentially. I mean, how on earth do you make it workable, particularly with a computer games business when you're streaming from the cloud, which means it's available everywhere to only let it happen in certain jurisdictions? But clearly, Microsoft is really, really keen for this to go ahead. And so the future will hinge, I think, on what happens in America next and what happens in the UK and whether this is overturned. And then whether, when, if it is overturned, I'm afraid that does really undermine the competition watchdog here. So that's also a very sensitive decision. And politically, this is a hot issue, a sensitive issue for the government. Rishi Sunak has made big promises about making the UK one of the most tech-friendly places on the planet, as you say, a science and technology superpower by 2030. So how does this decision fit in with that? If you think that it's just about the Microsoft Activision deal, then I don't think it matters very much. And some people have argued it's a really, really good thing because it shows that the UK has got strong competition laws and that's only ever a very good thing for business. On the other hand, if you are scaring away potentially businesses like Microsoft from investing in the UK, and they really did make a threat after this, perhaps a slightly veiled one, but saying that it's a difficult place to do business... That is going to make the government and executives here feel pretty nervous. I think particularly in a post-Brexit world without the umbrella of the European Union. The criticism about onerous regulation as well has come up with a few other companies very recently. So if you think about Deliveroo, the food delivery business, the boss, Will Shu said he got in a tangle with the CMA when Amazon wanted to put $500 million into his company and he wasn't allowed to touch the money for 18 months until the competition regulator said it was okay, even though Amazon was just buying a minority stake. And he was furious about this because he said it, he really needed the money during COVID and it was sitting on the table and he wasn't allowed to touch it because it was going through this 18-month process. And as a result, he had to lay off 35% of the business. Now, obviously, these are all individual companies' issues, so perhaps it's quite hard to extrapolate something from them. But it builds up a picture, certainly, that there is a, a lot of red tape in the UK, rightly or wrongly, but the image that that potentially presents to foreign investors could be seen as a difficult one. What can we learn from it then, Katie? What does it tell us about Britain's relevance on the global stage post-Brexit and how it handles big tech going forward? Nigel Farage said on Newsnight recently, this totally. and if you look at simple things such as takeovers, such as corporation tax, we are driving business away from our country. Arguably, now we're back in control, we're regulating our own businesses even more than they were okay. as EU members. Brexit has failed. For you then? Well, I wouldn't root it out. It's not I don't know that that's fair. Perhaps you could say that Brexiteers would like it because it shows the UK forging its own path and making its own decisions. I think perhaps more 
interestingly, really, ap- apart from Brexit, is does it matter and is it an indication of how businesses feel about investing in the UK or is it just Microsoft and Activision lashing out because they're really cross that the deal was blocked? 2023 is the year of regulation of big tech in the UK. It's really quite striking. If you look at the online safety bill, which regulates content on the internet, and the Digital Markets Act, which looks at competition issues, both in the UK actually and in the EU, there is a lot of pushback against the strength of big tech. So I think that this decision by the CMA coupled with those laws that we're seeing going through Parliament, show a much more strict approach perhaps than governments have had before when it comes to big tech companies. In terms of relevance on the global stage, I think it's really telling, isn't it, that the CMA is still considered one of the big three regulators and that the UK's decision provoked Microsoft this incredibly outsized response. So you could argue that it's actually quite positive that the UK is still very much considered one of the big players when it comes to the global tech scene. So this whole deal is about a hell of a lot more than just computer games. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, technology business editor at The Times, Katie Prescott. You can find all of Katie's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Sam Chantarasak, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you soon. Thanks so much to the Stories of Our Times team. Patrick Maguire will be with you for the rest of the week and I'll be back after the Commons recess. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.